this week, what we want to look at, we want to talk about death. And I know that's not a cheery, there's no real way to kind of come in uh, and, and bring a cheerful introduction about death. Just like when we walk through Ecclesiastes and we talk about everything's meaningless. And there's some sermons, there's some topics that are just more sober than other ones. And Genesis chapter 3 is, is not a cheerful chapter. It's not. It's the introduction of sin and death into this world. I remember uh, my grandpa, here he is, Ted Frankino, a uh, few years after this picture was taken, I was five, maybe six years old, my grandpa passed away of cancer. Didn't really get a chance to know my grandfather. But I remember being at his funeral and peeking into the casket and being so confused as a five-year-old. There is grandpa, but where is grandpa? And everyone's crying, and I'm crying, and, and I can see him, but then that's not really grandpa. Where, where is grandpa? That's his body, but where's grandpa? I found a website I wanted to show you. It's called worldometers.info. It's kind of a weird website. So what it does is, it, based on averages, it shows you the current population of the world, okay, 7.4 billion people, and then it shows you the births and, and, and deaths of each year and, and what it would look like today. So based on these averages, I don't think people are running around and be like, okay, she was born, okay, she was born. I don't think that's how this website works. But as you can see, this year alone, there have been 48, 48 million deaths on the world, in the world. And, and today alone, so 11.25 Alaska Standard Time, 78,000 people have died. And you can see that number as it ticks every second. And these aren't just numbers. These are individual lives. These are people who were created in the image of God, and people are dying every single second. It's hard to wrap our minds around. And, and listen, death is terrifying. It's real. It's something that I don't think we're ever going to fully understand, on, even on, especially on this side of glory. But it's a reality each of us face. So we've, each of us have lost loved ones, some of us very recently. And each of us ourselves are going to have to face this thing called death. So today we want to look and see what does the Bible, what does the beginning of death look like, and what does that mean for us? We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2. We were there a couple weeks ago. Genesis 2, we're going to look at verse 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely what? You shall surely die. Remember, God was clear with them. He communicated with them. And God always keeps his promises. He said, If you eat of this fruit, you will die. They ate of the fruit, and so death necessarily would come into the world. And we know this. We know this from, you know, everybody knows, we went to Sparky's, you know, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, when you sin, the paycheck you get for sin is death. And, and, it, and it's just not one person. Everybody sinned. And Hebrews 9 says, it is appointed for man once to die. Every single one of us, 100% of people die. There's a few exceptions in the Bible, Elijah, Enoch. But for the most part, each of us will face death. And we covered why we die last week. We, we died because we sinned. But this week we want to look at what is death? What, is that, what does that mean? Well, the word death, the word death simply means separation. I think often we think of death meaning like the, an end of something. It's not the end of something. It's the separation of, of one thing from another. And what we're going to learn today is that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, three different kinds of separation 
Three aspects of separation came into the world, and they affect every single second of our lives. The first is separation from God. Second is separation from the body. And the third is separation forever. And we'll look at those three this morning. So, first one, separation from God. This is a spiritual separation. And what's being separated is God and man and their relationship that they had with each other. You remember what happened when Satan and the angels sinned? They were, God cast them out of heaven, removed them from his presence. He could no longer have a relationship with Lucifer, who became Satan, or with those demons who chose to follow him, and he prepared an eternal place of torment called the lake of fire, where they would dwell forever. Now, we we said God is holy, and he can't be in the presence of anything that's not holy. He's perfect, and by definition, he can't dwell or have a relationship with anything that is imperfect. And we're going to see today the exact same thing happens to Adam and Eve. Um, I'm going to tell you something kind of gr- gr- gross here, but I gotta, it's, we got to be real with each other, okay? A couple of months ago, I had fruit flies in my apartment. There, I said it. All right, so now, I, did, I don't know what happened. First day, there's just this one fly, you know, buzzing by my eyes. I'm like, that's no big deal. You know, it's a fly. Next day, there's a couple of them. Like, did I leave a window open? What, what happened here? And then before you know it, this one fly has called all of his fruit fly buddies, and now they have just infested my entire apartment. Now, I see myself as a pretty clean guy. I bathe on a daily basis. Uh, you know, I, I take care of my fruits and my vegetables uh, whenever I buy them. Um, but, but they're everywhere. All of a sudden, they're in my kitchen. They're in my bathroom. I open the fridge. They're in my food, in my fridge. It's disgusting. And, 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 and there are gross, dirty flies. This is how they really look to me. This is what I saw. Um, now, my reaction to these fruit flies we're going to see Um, although not a perfect picture, it shows us a three-pronged way that God views our sin. So let's walk through this. First of all, there's anger, okay? My first reaction was, I hate those fruit flies. They drive me insane, okay? I was angry at them, and I wanted them gone. And so the same way, God, Ephesians 5, the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. Romans 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So God's response to sin, now listen, this is not some sort of um, flying off the handle, emotionally uncontrolled um, hatred that God has, where he sees sin and he just goes in this blind rage and just like sin and just starts going crazy and losing control. Okay, that, that's not the, the way God is angry, but he doesn't sin in his anger. He doesn't lose control. Here's, here's the way that God hates. Imagine how you would feel about someone who tried to harm your family, okay? Like, I consider myself a pretty mellow guy, all right? Calm, cool, collected. Um, but if someone tries to mess with a member of my family, it's go time right? Like, I will all of a sudden, the pastor shirts come off, and Super Justin comes out, and it's, we're, we're gonna brawl, right? Like, I see someone looking cross-eyed at my brother, and it's like, let's go! Let's go right now! Okay, this is, this is good. I'm getting this off my chest, working through these issues in my life. Um, but you're, you're ready, and the reason, you know why God hates so deeply? It's because he loves so deeply. 
And, and God, you see, he so loves us and longs for an intimate relationship with us that he hates anything that comes between us and him. And that's exactly what sin does. God hates sin. He doesn't hate us. He doesn't, we were created in his image. He loves us, but he hates sin and its effects on us and his, our relationship with him. The second thing that God's reaction is removal, okay? So back to the fruit flies. I got to get those fruit flies out of there, right? I'm not picturing like, ah, oh, we'll see if we can cohabitate. I'll charge them rent. It'll all be good. No, these fruit flies need to leave. They're infecting my bachelor food. All my saltines and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are getting disgusting. They need to go, all right? Adam and Eve, in the same way, had to be removed from God's presence. Genesis 3.23, therefore the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden, symbolizing a removal from his presence. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities, big word for sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And Habakkuk 1, 13. You, God, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. And we said, we used the illustration that wherever light is, Dark can't be there, right? Light and dark can't be in the same place at the same time. And in the same way, God, who is perfect, cannot be in the presence of anything that's imperfect. Holiness demands the absence of sin. And so we must be removed from the relationship that we had with God. And the third aspect of God's response to our sin is permanence. It's permanence. You know when I want those fruit flies to come back to my apartment? I'm never, never, ever going to change my feeling about those fruit flies, okay? For as long as they are disgusting, they shall remain banished from my apartment. In the same way, God is infinite, right? And, and everything about God is infinite. If he's loving, he will always be loving. If he's powerful, he will always be powerful. And because God is holy, he will always be holy. So as long as sin is as offensive to God, as long as he is holy, sin will be offensive to God. And as long as we are sinners, we cannot be in a relationship with him, permanently banned from his presence. He's not telling Adam and Eve, go stand in the corner and take a time out. Think about what you've done, then you can come back. As long as Adam and Eve are sinners, they cannot have a relationship with God. Now, for the record, this is hell. Hell is separation from God. To be separated from the presence of God is death. And to be in relationship with God, to know him is, is life. You're only going to find joy you're only going to find peace. You're only going to find contentment in your life from knowing God. Apart from a relationship with him, there is only hell. So the first aspect is a spiritual separation from God. The second thing is that we are, there's separation from the body. Now this is a physical separation. What's being separated here is one's spirit from one's body. And that's what happens. Now, this is, Adam was separated from his life source. Remember we said in, in Genesis 2 that God breathed life into Adam's lungs. God's the one that gave Adam the very breath that he had, the very breath that we have. He's his life source. So, if he said, the day you eat of the tree, you're going to die, why is it that when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and they lived for hundreds of years? Is God a liar? Is he not, did they not die? Let me give you an illustration. This morning, I went out and I uh, plucked this from one of the trees near my apartment. Okay, sorry, landlord. 
I have to replace my carbon footprint somehow. Um, so I grab this tree off of the bran- off, off of this branch off of the tree. Now, let me make sure I'm saying this correctly. So when I yanked this tree, this branch off the tree, did it immediately die? Okay. Now, in a sense, yes, it's separated from its life source. But you notice all the little pine needles are still green. Okay. They didn't just immediately wither up and fall off of this branch. But because this branch is now separated from its life source, over the next couple of days, any of you who have had a Christmas tree, a real Christmas tree, in your house, you know what I'm talking about. Over time, no matter how much you water this thing, this thing will eventually die because it has been separated from its life source. And in the same way, Adam and Eve, that day they ate of the fruit, they died spiritually, separated from God. And because they are now separated from their life source, eventually their bodies will wither and die. And the reason that we all experience physical death is because of the spiritual death that was encountered in Genesis 3. And so now, because Adam and Eve are separated from their life source, eventually they will die, and their spirit, which is eternal will be separated from their bodies, and their bodies go back to the dust that Adam was originally made from. This is, the, this is physical death. Third kind of death, separation forever. This is an eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. This is what's called in Scripture the second death. Now, what happens here, because Adam and Eve's spirits were now sinful, once they were separated, once they were separated from their bodies, their spirits were still sinful, And God is still holy, and therefore as long as God is holy, which is forever, Adam and Eve will have to be separated from God in spirit forever. And so God, he prepared this place of judgment where those who are sinners go. And it's this awful place. This is the final judgment, Revelation chapter 20. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all, who were, ju- and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. That's what we referred to. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the end of the story. This is the end of the story for sinners. Sinners that have not found a way back to God. Now this place, this is the same exact place that was reserved for Satan and his demons. This is an awful place. Scripture talks about this. Uh, It says that it's a place, Revelation says, it's a place where the people will be burning alive. Where they will be tormented forever. Okay, so so in other words, you, you don't cease to exist. It's worse. You experience torment forever. It's a place where there's no happiness. It's a place where there are worms and maggots, Mark says. A place where it's dark and everybody's weeping and they're gnashing their teeth and there's nothing but anguish. And, and you remember the story about Lazarus and, and, the, and the rich young man? And the, the man goes to the lake of fire and he's thirsty and, and he says, whatever you do, make sure that my brothers do not come to this place too. Sometimes our culture tries to paint hell as this place where people are going to be high-fiving their buddies and it's going to be a big party scene. That is not the picture that, that scripture paints. In fact, my old principal, Mr. C, he said his theory was that, that 
Hell is a place of isolation. We were created for relationship, and therefore hell is going to be a place where we have no relationship with anybody. And in fact, they've done these studies where they've taken uh, people and they've put them, submerged them into water where they were completely desensitized. They couldn't hear, they couldn't see, they couldn't touch. They were just suspended in water. And over the course of about 20 minutes, these people started going insane. They couldn't handle it. They had to be brought out of the water. And what it showed is that we can't go 20 minutes without knowing the reality of around us. To be completely isolated for eternity is truly hell. And the worst part of it, the thing that makes it hell, is being outside of the presence of God. So Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit, and they immediately died spiritually, which means that they eventually died physically. And if they failed to believe that God, in God's deliverer, that they would remain eternally separated for him, from him in the, in the lake of fire. So here's the question. How do, where do we come in on this? We jump in on this action. What does this have to do with me today? Well, we, we said, the, we, we go back to this branch here. So if I, you, you see this branch, okay, where are the twigs coming off of this branch in relation to the tree? These twigs are also separated from that tree, right? And just like this branch is going to die, every twig that comes off of this tree will experience the same fate as this poor little branch that I just ripped from its life this morning. Sorry, buddy. So, Adam and Eve have now been separated from the garden. Genesis 3. So God banished them from the Garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. They could no longer have access to the tree of life symbolizing that they can no longer live forever. That their, their punishment is death. And you know where Cain and Abel were born? outside of the garden, right? They, they were born from Adam and Eve, and not just symbolically, Cain and Abel were born separated from God, just like their parents. What does an apple tree produce? Yeah, apples. What, is, what does a cat produce? Little baby kittens, right? Yeah, little cats, evil cats. Um, what, does a, what does a human sinner produce? More sinful humans. Anyone in here who has children doesn't need me to tell them that their child was born with a sinful nature, okay? You do not have to teach your kid to scream when they didn't get their way, okay? To be selfish. You didn't have to te- now, now, honey, when your brother makes you mad, you bite him right here because that's where it really hurts, right? You didn't, have, you didn't have to teach them how to be sinful. Like, they knew that. That came naturally because you're a sinner, Psalm 51 says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. David says at the point of conception, when I was, when I was first conceived, I was already a sinner. Job 14, can, who can bring purity out of an impure person? No one. No one. We are, we are born impure. We are born sinful. My parents um, are Italian and German. Okay, I'll let you decide which one's which. They reproduced... An Italian-German, okay? Two-thirds of the Axis powers right here, baby. Okay, don't mess with me. And now I have their DNA. I, I have their tendencies, okay? Except for my dad's facial hair. That didn't come. I have their nature, 
Okay, my mom, who's been known as a chatterbox, um, and my, my dad, who actually sneakily is very loud. You might not know that about him. If you have children in children's ministries, ask them. They'll tell you the truth. Okay, my dad is very loud. I always say that I got my, my dad's quality with my mom's quantity, all right? So it means I'm just loud all the time. That's just how that, how that works. In the same way, I inherited their sin nature, right? Uh, some of my specific vices, but th- in general, I'm a sinner because they're sinners, because their parents were sinners, handed all the way back down the line from Adam and Eve. Now, this is what I want to tell you. The, the problem, the problem is not what we do. The problem is who we are. That's the problem. To say it another way, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. This might seem just like a wordplay, but it's a huge difference. I did not become a Frankino because I talk a lot. They're like, come on in. You fit the mold, right? No, because I'm a Frankino, I talk all the time, right? It's in my nature. It's who I am. And this is so huge. Because listen, the reason that you and I sin is because we are sinful people, because we have a sinful nature. And the reason this is so huge is because the solution, therefore, is not just to do something different. It's not like, well, if I start coming to church every week and I start tithing more, although keep doing that, uh, if I just start acting better, then it will be fixed. This is not legalism. This isn't works. You can't cover up with fig leaves. The problem is us. We must become something different. And that's why salvation comes from a new life and a new nature outside of us completely. If we want to change, it has to start with who we are, not what we do. And so we're going to find out on this journey as we walk through this story how we get that new life, how we get that new nature. So we said a couple weeks ago that that we talked about the imago Dei, which is just a Latin fancy word for the image of God, that each of us were created in God's image. And we said that we were created to reflect God's image like a mirror or a statue. We're here on earth representing who God is. And we were created in his image so that we could have a relationship with God. Now, some of us were made in God's image more than others. That's just the way it rolls, okay? And, uh, but because of sin... We no longer perfectly reflect God's image like I do right there. We have become marred. We have become broken. We have become fractured. And so now, when we look into that mirror, when we, when we attempt to connect with God in relationship, when we, connect, when we attempt to reflect his glory in the way that we live, in the way that our lives look, it's broken and it's fractured and does not look the way it should look. It's like a painting that's been smeared. We have marred the image of God. And so what this leads to is what we call imputed sin. Just another big fancy word. The word impute means to place into an account or to assign something value. So in other words, if you were to impute a million dollars into my bank account, first of all, thank you. Um, And second of all, what that means is you've assigned the value of a million dollars onto my account. You put that there. You imputed it onto my account. Adam imputed something onto our account, but it wasn't a million dollars. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam's sin resulted in death being placed on to each of our accounts. 
Each of us die, and it says, why does it say that? It says, because all sinned. It means when Adam sinned, it's as though we sinned too. It's as, oh, as though we bit into that apple. There's a, there's a phrase that says, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. And Adam's sin was placed onto our account. That's why we're born guilty, born sinners. Now, there are some scholars who disagree with that, that they would say, we're, we're born with the same choice that Adam was born with, that, that each of us can choose whether or not we want to sin. It's just that we all choose to sin. And, and we don't know. That's something kind of God sorts out. From what I'm seeing from Scripture, you know, David said I was a sinner. I was, sinned, I was a sinner at conception. It appears to me, I believe, that we're born sinners, but that's something that people smarter than me have, have argued over for a long time. I mean, you might say, wait a second, that's not fair. I wasn't even in the garden. I don't even like fruit. Like, why is it that... Like, Adam's sin causes me to die, causes me to be a sinner. That's not fair. Let me give you an illustration that might help. Let's say, this is a hypothetical, my great-great-great-great-grandpa Frank Kino, when he was still single, he has this great duel, okay, this Italian duel with his partner Spaghetti, all right? So Frank Kino and Spaghetti are going to have this duel to the death. Now, who won? Frankino won, right? How do you know that? Because I'm here, right? We know that he won because I, if, if he would have went down in that duel, so do all of his hypothetical offspring, right? So in a sense, I won this duel because I was in great-great-grandpa Frankino. If he loses, I lose. If he wins, I win. I had no choice in the matter. I wasn't there. I wasn't at his side with my pistol or whatever. I'm sure I would have been a big help. But Grandpa Frankino, because I'm here, it shows that he won. His actions, our actions, affect other people. And Adam, our great-great-grandfather, his actions affected us all. Now, a couple of things when we think about this. First of all, we got to know, we got to remember the foundation. God is just, which means he's right. Everything that he does is the, is the most right way to do things. Okay, so sin entered in the world. This is how it works. And when we, the creation, are not to question the creator. Second of all, one of the reasons we have a difficult time wrapping our minds around something like this is because we are what we call an individualistic society. In other words, we think of ourselves primarily as me versus you, as individuals. Ancient history didn't see things like that. They were what we call a collectivist society. In other words, they thought of each other in terms of groups and families and nations. So they wouldn't have struggled with this concept as much as we struggle with this concept in our culture. And finally, and most importantly, you want to know what else is not fair? We want to talk about what's fair? You continue reading in Romans 5. Yes, verse 18 says, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. That's true. Because of what Adam did, his one boneheaded decision, it affects all of us. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. If we want things to be fair, we'd all be in hell. Grace is not fair. And yes, through Adam's one act, sin came and it entered into the entire world. But a second Adam came, Jesus, and through his one beautiful act of obedience, through death on the cross, a right relationship with God, and new life, a new nature 
is offered to all of us. Death is not a pleasant subject. And some of you are going, why did I come this week? Like, I could have stayed home, or I could have gone to the ladies' retreat. I'm sure they got a bunch of nice cookies and stuff over there. I could have stayed home and just listened to somebody on YouTube talk about something uplifting, right? Andy Stanley, he's great. But remember, a couple things to think about here. Death was not the intent. That was not God's intent for us. About a month ago, um, a baseball player named Jose Fernandez, 24 years old, he was supposed to pitch on Sunday. It got bumped back to Monday. So he and two friends went uh, out on a boat, coming back to the docks in the Miami Beach at 3 a.m. Their boat crashed on the rocks, and they were all instantly killed. And it rocked the baseball world. And the Marlins, the team he played for, the Marlins game was pushed back a day. And I watched the game, and I've never seen anything like this in all of my years watching sports. And the players all rallied around this. They all wore jerseys that had his name and his number on the back of them. And they played this game in honor of him. And the first guy up to the plate, you can't write this stuff, first guy up to the plate, D. Gordon, not a home run hitter, hadn't hit a home run all season. And the first plate appearance, D. Gordon crushes one farther than it had ever gone in his career. And as he's rounding the bases, tears are just streaming down his face. And tears are streaming down my face as I'm watching. And he goes into the dugout, and everybody just comes and hugs him and has this moment. And it's a reminder that death is tragic, that they're going to miss their friend, that this was not God's design for us, that he made us for a relationship with him and with each other. He he created us to last forever in those relationships. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they came in and it ripped up our relationships with each other and with God. And now there's brokenness and there's pain and there's heartache in this world. Sin is real and its consequences are real. But the other thing that we must remember is that we must see the gravity of that sin and that death if we're ever to believe and fully savor the beauty of our Savior, the one who came to to redeem us and to to heal those fractures in the sin and death that that was caused from Genesis 3. And next week, we're going to talk about that redemption. We're going to talk about God's plan. And we're going to see this beautiful thing at the end of Genesis 3. There's this grace note. There's this upswing where God shows us. He gives us this picture of how he is going to provide a covering because we could never cover our own sins. And there's this beautiful picture that he presents to us. And I can't wait to get it. Actually, it's going to be two weeks from now um, when I get back. But listen, guys. God is loving. And he wants a relationship with us. And this is the last verse I want to show you, and then I'll be done. The first Adam came into the world and brought death and sin with him, but the second Adam came. He's called the Son of Man. For the Son of Man, Luke said, came to seek and save those who are lost. And maybe there's some some of you in this room this morning who feel pretty lost. Yeah, you don't know Jesus. You haven't found Jesus. Or maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you kind of lost your way. And, and, And just to remind you, Jesus came to find you, to pursue us in our sin, and to save us, to bring us back into a relationship with God where there's joy and where there's peace. And if, if, you haven't, if you don't know him, if you haven't found Jesus, I encourage you to find someone in this room who knows him, who, who has found him as life, who's been saved by him, and talk to them and know them. And maybe, maybe you are a believer, but the relationship right now is fractured and it's broken. I just encourage you to press in to each other as we press into God. Let's pray. Father, death is so hard 
to understand. It's a terrible thing to experience. It's, it's tragic. It's real. And for some of us, that hits very, very close to home today. And it's a tough subject. But God, I pray that as we, as we look at, at we, we can't play games we can pretend and we can try to entertain ourselves and comfort ourselves and pretend like this world is just about the here and now and everything's fine. But these things are real, God. Sin is real and death is real. I pray that you would open our eyes and, and have us take an honest look at ourselves and this reality and the reality to come and the sin and death that is really here. But God, that we wouldn't end there, but to know that there is good news, that Jesus has come that he came, and he came to seek and save those who are lost. And Father, if there are those in this room who don't know Jesus, I pray that they would not wait another day, another hour. But in this hour, in this moment, they would choose to believe that Jesus is who you say that he is. And they would find life, and they would find relationship with you. God, I pray that we'd be bold as we go out into our workplaces and our homes and our families and our relationships to keep an eternal perspective, to know that each one of us and each one of the ones we love is appointed to die. And if we don't preach the gospel to each other, that we're going to see those who we love experience that second death and eternal separation from you. Give us an eternal perspective. And I pray that what would motivate us is the love of Christ, that we would spread the joy of knowing Jesus, that that would be reflected in our lives. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that the death is not the end but there is hope in him. Pray that we would place our hope in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.